You're listening to Art Root Radio, and I'm your host, Michelle Lockery. On the podcast, um, it's been a really nice journey to try to find the artists that I feel are such inspirational visionaries. And of course, in my work, I love the use of encaustic. It, um, it doesn't lend to large murals, but it lends to this freedom of the flame and fire, and it just fascinates me. Melting wax has fascinated me since I was a kid, and I used to um, make, I'd fill my mother's sink up with water, and I would melt wax, and I would fill it with the molten wax, and I loved the shapes, and it was just a, a wonderful thing for me. Probably not so much for my mother as the wax went down the sink, and uh, you can only imagine. But one of the artists that I have watched for a while is an incredible encaustic artist named Angela Hansen. Her works are really ethereal and otherworld-like, and she takes the medium of wax to an almost otherworld place of um, just exquisite work. So I'm pretty excited to have Angela in the studio today. And um, so here, grab a tea and help me welcome Angela. Good morning, Angela. Welcome to the studio. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's been great. I've admired your work from afar for a while. Well, thanks so much. So tell me, how that how did you start working with wax? Oh, it was actually quite a long journey. Um, I I've I went to art school and had heard about encaustic and always thought that's really interesting. I wonder how you paint with with wax because of course it would show up in our art history classes and stuff and. I was doing graphic design, so I was nowhere near anything waxy, although my first year I did create a clay sculpture and cover it in wax so that I had color on it because I didn't have a kiln to fire it in, so I, I kind of almost got my way there and then went into the graphic arts department and went away, but what ended up happening is I ended up becoming a, a high school art teacher, and my first year while I was doing my practicum, the art teacher's in the Okanagan here, they um, they put on little workshops for protees and things like that, and they invited a lady from the South Okanagan named Taya Hobrecht, um, who kind of, I think, introduced a lot of us in, this, in the Okanagan to encaustics. They invited her to a workshop, and she brought an iron and a stylus and a bunch of the waxes and all the papers, and we had a chance to play with it that day, and I, I really loved the medium immediately and I bought a little kit and um, that was my first taste so that was um, gosh 21 years ago now so wow that was the first taste it's something isn't it I I think I got my first taste when I was a kid and I used to love my mom and dad had an oil heater we lived in these really old houses and I would take plasticine and wax and sit it on the top of the heater and watch it melt into the heater (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Oh, I love playing with wax and candles and stuff. I grew up on a farm, so we always had power outages and stuff. There was candles around all the time. And, yeah, taking that warm wax and molding it. Right. I mean, who does think that later on I'm, you know, making a career out of molding wax now? So It's, it's a funny, wonderful medium, hey? I got, mm-hmm. actually, Angelica Dagger, she, was, she did a piece, and she was, I don't know what we were doing, some event, and... Uh, she goes, yeah, this is encaustic. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. 
And then I tried it and that was it for me. I was like, I think it has to do with that it's so unexpected. Like you really, you really have to trust the medium. Yeah, you have to give up some control with it. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, I've taught people who are completely new to encaustic and even new to art. And it's lovely because even if you're not an artist, you can create really beautiful things with it. It's really hard to make mud with, with wax. And people don't have any preconceived ideas of how it should look because it's not like pencil or, or paint where they've seen so many artists work, I think, with it. So they have kind of an open mind to it. And it's, it's almost like a, a childlike approach to it. Yeah. But even as, as you're working with it, um, I've, I've had friends who are artists and they like to be very much in control of what they're doing and they get frustrated with it. And I said, there's an element of, of um, I don't know what the word is, like the, no control. You have to just let it flow and do its thing and just trust that it will turn out okay. Right, yeah. <laughs> and trust yourself in the process. So I love getting lost in that. I think, too, one of them, because I've had people up in my studio, too, and the emotions that come out with wax, like people who've never created, and you give them the torch and the colors and the wax, and it's like they start, their hearts are free or something. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, that's what I felt like the first time I tried it. I was like, what is this? Because <laughs> the only wax I played with was maybe, probably some beeswax, but paraffin most likely and melted crayons and things like that. So... Once you work with an encaustic medium and realize the the scope, like the breadth of what you can do with it, it you can treat it like pretty much any other medium, art-making medium, which is amazing. It's, I mean, it's just so versatile. And then just the warmth and the smell and the, I don't know, it's very, um, I don't know what the word is. It's just, it's really, for me, it was just really enchanting. That's a good word because because it's an ancient enchanting, and I I think and I was like for me because you know art supplies always say people are so expensive and artists tend to kind of, but with the wax I seem to go in there and go forgive myself if I mess it up I can just make it into another color. Mhm. Yep. Right. That's a beautiful thing. Scrape it off and start again. Yep. Yeah, and any little drips that end up on your table, as long as you've covered it with something, I've got silicone mats now. You just pick it off and put it back in the pot or whatever. It's, yeah, it's great. I feel really good about using it because it's, you know, I, it's made from natural materials and I make my own medium and I buy pigments and can make my own paint. And it, I feel really good about that rather than, you know, packaging and tubes. I agree 100%. And all that stuff. 100%. And I think I always think about all of the bees. I, I sit there when I'm doing it, I'm like, how many bees are in the studio with me? <laughs> Oh, yeah, in the summer, they're blinking against the screen. And I asked a, a beekeeper once, I said, are they, what are they looking for? And they think there's food. They're, they smell the honey, and they're they're looking for, for food. I thought they were just coming for a visit. What's that? I thought they were just coming for a visit. Well, they might be. I always thought that, too. But apparently, yeah, they're feeling friendly. Yeah. <laughs> I, know. I love bees, too. I always, you know, when I'm in my garden, I come across them. I talk to them. And, Tell them what a good job they're doing. That's awesome. Well, I think about, like, my grandmother was Ukrainian, right? So we used to do Ukrainian Easter eggs with beeswax. Oh, lovely. Right? So that historical side to me, that is, and, you know, people go, well, don't you paint big murals? Well, I used to. Now I, I, 
I am in love with wax. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize you were doing that much encaustic yourself. Yeah, it's it's if I go to make a piece that's just me in the studio, it's usually encaustic. Nice. I'm trying to do portrait work with it, and um, yeah, that's another challenge. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's um, um, painting in a more traditional way. You have to be fast. Yep, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I I know people use um, giant heated palettes, and they're able to lay their piece on that and it kind of keeps the substrate warm if you can keep the temperature really low so it's it's kind of like keeping your paint open a little bit longer but I don't have anything like that so I just I bought one I did buy one but I couldn't work flat and then actually I was watching you and you had a brush and I tried you know I'm I'm learning that I just gotta try to go fast and actually that's what I'm so excited about the podcast too is I want people to come and listen to all of us artists who have all these crazy fun skills, which make art more approachable too, is I just keep my blowtorch handy and I go Poof, with the blowtorch. <laughs> my favorite tool in the studio, my little torch. Right? Yeah. I know. So tell me when, this, I ask everybody on the podcast this, when as a child did you realize that you were an artist? Um, I think as soon as I could hold a crayon very, very young. Like, that's all I remember doing. Like, um, I grew up in the caribou in the 70s um, on a farm. So, nearest neighbor was, you know, a mile or two away. And it was just my brother and mom and dad and I and, and the animals, my cat and horses and dogs and things. And um, my being able to make things was how I entertained myself. We didn't have TV or internet or, of course, back then. TV was sporadic, so it was, that was my way of, of just keeping busy, was, was drawing and, and, and painting, and, and my mom was painting at the time, too, I remember sitting and watching my mom paint, and um, just being, in, you know, enthralled with that, and uh, I just always called myself an artist from the time I can, first like, memories I can remember. What was your favorite color crayon? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Probably purple, yeah. I don't know. I, I love so many colors. I just, you know, it depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I get it. My yeah. granddaughter's favorite color is purple. She goes, Grandma, I like purple because pink is, well, pink, and purple is, well, purple. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think pink was ever my favorite, but I'm, I'm when I say purple, I guess when I was little, purple was the favorite, but now I lean, you know, towards ultramarine blue and and I don't know Payne's gray you know I, I'd like to think those are a little more mature colors. <laughs> I have to say Payne's gray is one of my favorite colors and anything turquoise yeah oh yeah I use tons of turquoise too it's just I find it such a um accessible color everybody seems to like turquoise and it's you know it's healing and calm and reminds us of us of so many pleasant things so yeah, it's a beautiful thing, and I'm right now leaning also to magenta, just with everything happening in the world, that magenta is that higher, you know, that just, could we please all come together and yeah. collaborate, right? That's where yeah. I'm really, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. We had similar growing up, that's the same thing, I was an artist as a child, and we lived rural, and, you know, and there was good and tough times, and I was a really quiet 
um, shy kid. Same here. Yeah. I know people go, "You are shy." I'm going, and I'm still, I'm still pretty reclusive, actually. <laughs> yeah, just because you're able to talk with people one on one and be chatty doesn't mean that you're an outgoing kind of extroverted person, right? Doesn't being an introvert? I think it's um, misinterpreted. People think you don't like people, and that's not the case at all. If anything, it's the opposite. It's just you know, it, it's it's um, don't like lots of people at <laughs> once. It's kind of draining, and it, um, yeah, I would much rather sit with a small group of people and have really intimate conversations and be yelling over a crowd and not really having any meaningful talk with anyone. I think you can't be an artist and not have sensory issues, or how would you have picked up the world in order to recreate? Yeah, that's a really good point. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Well, I have these five beautiful grandchildren, right? And they all are we're just dealing with different sensories and watching them grow. And it's been really healing for me because I can be in a crowd. I can speak in front of thousands of people, <laughs> but don't make me walk around and make small talk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that I can relate to for sure. Yeah, and that's why when people said you're doing a podcast, it's it <laughs> <laughs> right, right? Because all of those years on all of those walls with all of those thousands of kids and people, it was intimate climbing up the scaffolding and the best conversations happened on mm -hmm. that four feet of a wall. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. 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 Huh. Well I you know, I stand in front of thirty teenagers every other day and um it's easy now. It was not easy at first. And, you know, I, I try not to teach at them a lot. I try to just give them some direction. And then then the magic happens when you can walk around and have chats with them about what they're doing or how their day is going. And that I love. That is, yeah. I love that way more than standing, in, you know, in front of them and and demonstrating or whatever. It's, it's the... It's the little one-on-one -on -one or group conversations that I, I really cherish. I was listening to this, this I don't know, some guy I was listening to on a podcast. I can't remember his name. And he was saying that the true masters have taught for a huge amount of their career because what they learned from young people has worked into their work. And that's how masters are formed, not from the time they spend on their art, from the time they took to teach others their art. I absolutely 100% agree with that. I've learned so much from students, adult and teenagers, and you come, they have such neat ideas, and you come away inspired, and you think, I never thought of doing something like that. That's amazing. Yeah. So I, I absolutely agree with that 100%. And I agree, too, because I had all those kids, and here I was a young woman doing murals. I mean, self-taught. I like I was a single mom pretty early and then got married, and I was like, sure, I'm going to paint murals now because I know how to raise money for a nonprofit. Okay. And every one of those students, and I had thousands of them, I would look, oh, look at that brushstroke. Oh, look at that. And yeah. it's it, it, like my toolbox got full. It was amazing. Yeah. 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 I have, yeah. It's it's really fun to watch them, especially the kids that are that really love art or don't think that they're very good or, or not really an artist. And then they see what they can do and you encourage them and nurture that and, and they just, you know, blossom and they're, their face lights up when you compliment them on something they're doing and it's that's that makes the stress of the job worth it I think I think and it's been interesting with some of the interviews I've had a lot of artists have commented back that it was an art teacher that got them through high school 
Oh, absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mine was Mr. Vero. <laughs> mine was, we used to call her Timmy. Timmy? <laughs> Timmy. She goes, just call oh. me Timmy. She was amazing. And St. Raven Zeller, I just had her on the podcast, the same thing. Yeah. You know, so think about how many lives you're helping. That, that's got to be a pretty big and caustic heart feeling, eh? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, my first, I guess, real art teacher was in elementary school. Um, rural, little, tiny school out in the farm, in the farmland. And the principal's wife was the librarian, but she was an artist. She, I think she had gone to art school. And I remember her um, helping me make a portfolio, like a physical portfolio to keep all my work in. And I went over to her house. They had they had houses on the school grounds for the teachers because it was so rural. Right. So they put them in these houses. And she had me over to the house, and we put fabric around this cardboard, and I got to paint it. And it was, that was so magical for me, and having that relationship with her, like her supporting me that way. And then she ended up getting a bunch of us at this little school having our art in the Emily Carr college, um, it was at the time that college, um, a student show that would travel around the province. Wow. And a whole bunch of the kids had, she entered, I think some, we did some sculpture work and then some paintings, and I was only in grade two, I think, at the time, and um, she she submitted a whole bunch of our work, and a whole, I think there was five of us ended up with um, certificates of, of, I guess it was... Uh, it was just acknowledging having the work in the show, but my one of my pieces actually went in the show and traveled around the province. We went to this big town next to where we lived, and I got to see my art, my painting in this show with all these other kids' paintings. And I was like seven years old, and that was insane. And that was, if she hadn't done that for me, who knows, you know, what I would have ended up doing. And if I would have kept going with my art the same way that I did with her help. So I always wonder about that. (laughs) Well, no, I think it's beautiful because, you know, um, somebody asked me, you know, what's your biggest passion? And I I really had to think about it. And it was like obviously teaching for me and, and we're discussing this, but it's really finding people who feel invisible and making, just giving you know, it's as much as saying, hey, I like your hat when somebody walks by or just to be mm-hmm. able to see people that maybe feel unattached. And I think for kids, they need that. I, I know mine. I was coloring a pumpkin, an orange crayon. I was coloring it and my aunt picked it up. And it was the first time I got some attention that, you know, that didn't make me feel, you know, because I was at same thing, small town, didn't play hockey, wasn't sports kid, you know, <laughs> yeah. all those things. And I was like, I got a voice with my orange crayon. Mhm. Absolutely. Yeah. And then if you you get recognized by other kids too for what you do and I was not I was a dorky little quiet thing and not yeah. not a popular kid but I was known for art and kids would get me to help draw stuff for them and things and that I was really proud of that. Social. That kept me going. That, no, <laughs> got, me, I, got me through high school for well, sure. Right? Well, and I had a daughter yeah. that had a challenge in high school and it's, it, it you know and it's isn't it sitting here going, why do we all know this sort of secret recipe and it still is missing in some of our systems that how important is it for that whole group of kids that art should be a predominant thing, not the extra class? Yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah, it's unfortunate that it's 
I would love to see an art-based, more art-based schools that, you know, other arts too, not just digital arts, but performing and, and music and all of that. I think it's, but not everybody is, is arty. Nope. I mean, there's definitely athletes and, and the, you know, the people who are into maths and sciences, but I think even they benefit from being able to look at the world through, like an artist, right? And just um, thinking about things in a non-linear way and, and thinking about um, communicating in a different way other than verbally or written language. I think especially like for, that. I agree, especially for boys, because like, I mean, watching my grandsons grow up, they're all different. Some are kind of arty, but sporty. They're a mix of all but they all generate to art. It's just sometimes I see that there's just no place. And then once they start getting social, there's still those, those places. So I, I, I agree. I would have a dream of having an art school. That is, it, it's all based on art. Like you've got giant walls and not, not the learning just in the 12 inches, like where you can be playing football or climbing, doing parkour on scaffolding while other people are creating, there is a conversation of mm-hmm. that social conversation of inclusion needs to happen that or not needs, I shouldn't say need happened in my, on my scaffolding, you know, everybody has some kind of creative ability. It just gets mm-hmm. silenced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I don't know where that happens either. You know what? I, I find kids coming into the school system at the high school level, they've already got Really, a lot of them, anyway, not all of them, but a lot of them have really definitive ideas of what good art is and, you know, who's a good artist and who's not. And a lot of them are really shy about their abilities and don't realize the abilities that they have and don't value their way of doing things because it's not what they think good art is. So maybe one kid's really good at drawing anime. Well, just because you don't draw anime, but maybe you draw still lifes really well. Maybe you're great with clay. Maybe paint is just magic in your hands. That doesn't make you not a, you know, you're not a good artist. doesn't mean you're not a good artist. Was coming, am I saying a double name? No, no, no. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it, and you have to, I, and them having, finding, they're shy about their own personal voice as well. They. Yeah. You know, through elementary school, unfortunately, just I think the way things go as far as curriculum and, and training and stuff, there are sort of cookie cutter projects, and they are given an exemplar, and you end up with 28 of the exact same thing, and you're comparing yourself to the best one, or what you think is the best one, or the, the teacher's exemplar. And then they come to me, and I give them these really open-ended creative problems to solve, and, you know, maybe one or two little parameters in there. And they're, the arty kids are just like, oh, yeah, finally. And they dive right in. And then these other kids that don't have that confidence, they just kind of sit there wide-eyed and going, I'm not sure how to do this. And, and so, you know, when they're younger and they first come to me, I have to talk them through that and help them just, you know, do anything. Just start. That's the hardest part is just starting and just, just all I care about is you giving it a try. That's the most important thing. So and yeah, I think all things should be like that for them, but they 
especially with social media, it seems like they are so hard on themselves. It's kind of like you're teaching them to be photocopiers, if you look at it that way, because that was the same (laughs) on the murals, right? Why the murals worked was we had a problem. The problem was the blank wall. We had a picture, which was what was dedicated by the, the, the organizers, the museum, what had to go on that wall, but that was it. And so we had to find the solution on a 100-foot wall. And it would be interesting because I'd have, I always mixed it up. I'd have 10 kids that were university kind of graduate, art graduates, and then I'd have at risk from the street. Nice. Well, it would be crazy because you'd watch the arrogance of the ones that said, oh, I've got an art degree. And I'd say, yeah, well, wait until you've been in the sun for four days in 42-degree weather climbing scaffolding. Kids know how to deal with that, I bet. And the other kids, yeah, the street kids were like, hey, I got it. And the mix, (laughs) where I couldn't get some of the university kids off the square foot, and yes, their square foot on the mural that they got was perfect. But when I asked them to just go get rollers and just go across and make, and they used to call it Michelle and E's, big swooshies and woo-hoo-hoo and go, they couldn't do it. Yeah, because that that isn't controlled, right? Yeah. Losing a little bit of um, I don't know what it is. Losing, losing control. People like to be in control. I well, I think there was no actual affirmation at the end because on a mural you have to blend it all. Like you, somebody can do a funny brush stroke, or actually your coffee dumped down the wall, and we went, "Oh, that's a good cloud." So, because it was everybody working collectively, at the end of the day, the mural decided it was a good day not me, they didn't get an A, B, D, whatever, it was like, oh, that looks pretty good, or like, okay, that's okay, guys, we can come back tomorrow and paint it over. (laughs) Yeah, and I guess artists are used to being recognized as individuals, so if they've gone through art school, all that work that they do as an individual, there's not, I don't remember a whole lot of collaborative work in school, Um, and, and so when you work on a mural with all of these people, you want to take ownership of it and say, I did that little chunk there rather than contributing to the whole thing. And I think that's another product of society where it's a very individual-based kind of society in North America, especially. It's all about the me, the, the I, rather than the us. Yeah. Yeah. We Maybe to, that's part of it. We used to do this workshop where we'd have, like, executive like a kind of a you know healing build up society type you know those workshops and I'd have like 20 people at a table and I'd say okay everybody draw so all of these executives would start drawing whatever they drew as a kid and you'd watch them start being very proud and I'd say okay draw an eye they'd all draw an eye and then I'd go switch and I would make them all move their paper and it would be just amazing to watch them all have a meltdown yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, I yeah I've experienced that all through um, art school. They we well first year art school we did that. Not once we got into the design program, but I did a painting. That's ironic. I went to art school and never actually took a painting class, and I finally did one through continuing um, ed when UBCO was still doing that. And Sean Surface was doing um, a painting course, so. Myself and a couple of their art teachers decided it'd be fun just to do something together and take this this art course with him, and it was it was brilliant. Like that, after taking that course with him and having gotten into my encaustics more, it was like sky 
eye opened up a little bit for me. It was re- it was a neat experience. But anyway, one of his projects was we all created a painting, and then we had to give them to other people in the <laughs> class. And then they, we would work on, on someone else's painting over the week and then bring it back to the next class and look at what everybody did. And there were some pretty upset people. <laughs> I was like, sure, whatever, I don't care. But there were some pretty upset people. <laughs> they were like, no, because he didn't tell us that he was going to make us do that until he says, I think you guys are ready. <laughs> ah, I love yeah. that. So tell me about, so what are you working on now? Like, so we're, we at the end, I'll have like your website and everything you're yeah. doing. And I, I take people on a scavenger hunt because I want them to go explore and be curious. Ah, that's good. So tell me, what, what's, what, what's, what's in your vision for the next little bit? Um, well, I'm actually very excited. I got, um, I got a show at the Vernon Art Gallery for January. That's very exciting. Yeah, so I'm going to have the, the smaller gallery space, I forget what its name is. And so I'm working on an installation that will, of course, be encaustic-based. And um, it's very, uh, it's, it's sculptural, so I'm going to have all kinds of sculptures on the wall and hanging and sitting in the middle of the room. And it's, um, it's actually based on seed vaults. Ah. And so it's environmentally, um, uh, the word, I guess, sort of oriented, uh, which a lot of my recent work has been. And so it's just sort of educating people about seed vaults and why we need them. And it's actually kind of horrifying that we need seed vaults. I know, right? climate change and all of that and so in particular I'm researching um, one in Norway called Svalbard okay and it's um, the seed vault that's oh gosh I think it's 13 kilometers north of the Arctic Circle and it's built into the permafrost so it stays at minus 20 something degrees and um, there's almost 90 countries or nations have got seeds in this vault and it's um, you own the seeds that you put there. It's like a bank, so it's the most northern point you can get to. That you can still access with an airplane. Wow! Apparently, yeah. So I'm doing research on that, and the installation will kind of reflect basically the numbers of seeds and the con- the contributors of the seeds to Svalbard's um, vault. That is so, so interesting. Yes, yeah, it's it's, it's going to be it's really fun. I've I've already started on it, but you know, I'll be kind of picking away at that over the year and making lots of medium. I'm going to go through pounds and pounds of medium, but <laughs> it's all good. Lots of dipping. Love dipping. Actually, I just reached out to um, one of the counselors here and said we need a seed vault here. Like if they're building like any kind of building, you got to think about having Okanagan seed vaults as well, because that's why like our project, our sunflower project, people are like, what's it about? I go, people, place, and planet. That using our voice, yes, we're creating art and we're going to create this trail of sunflowers and we're inviting all artists to come and join to so that we can help people. You know, if you do a tourism-based art thing, we can bring some of the tourist money to the artists, especially senior artists, to keep them going while you're leaving a legacy. But let's teach about exactly food security and environment mm-hmm. and and connectivity so that's so i'm i'm just watching in my head as you're talking i'm like can you make us a big sunflower can you make us a big sculptural wax sunflower oh i would adore doing that i love sunflowers right i grew some sunflowers this summer that got like i don't know they were 14 feet tall i'm like oh my god 
monsters. Well, come and join us because we're just, we have, and we started, we did one exhibition and now I've had Kelowna reach out and we see a trail, like we've got lots of communities and it's, we're using the reclaimed satellites because they already come with the installation package. So it's just easier, like they've been designed to go back up on the wall. And we saved 60 this year and we have another 200 that got picked up that would have been in the landfill. Oh, I would love to do something. I could just yeah. Only encase that thing in. <laughs> right? And so, yeah. yeah, we welcome you because it's, I, I know it's it's time for us to stand up. And the sunflower is, I mean, for me and with everything that's happening in Ukraine, Ukraine, Peter the Great supposedly came here and got the sunflower seed from here to replace the economy when the rapeseed oil failed. And now they're the number one world's producer of sunflower seeds. I'm going, let's bring them back. Let's grow mm-hmm. them. Let's protect our seeds. And let's talk about environmental art and look at that mm-hmm. i did not know that you were an environmentalist that's awesome yeah yeah well the um last two installations i did i had one just recently at the Kelowna art gallery and it was about it was just in the the window gallery space yeah and it was actually um um it was made, made to look like a coral reef and it was called brink and it was about us being at the brink of change that we can never return you know, we can never go back. That yeah. is where we are in, in as far as our planet goes. And it was the idea, because it looked like a giant aquarium to me, that if we keep doing what we're doing, the only place our grandchildren are going to see coral reefs is in a, in a tank, man-made tank. And they won't be able to go out and snorkel and, and look at these beautiful creatures and coral reefs and things that exist on our, our planet, like even really locally. And then the uh, other installation I had at the alternator was called Breath, and it was also ocean-based, and it was actually about um, oxygen production that comes, how much oxygen comes from the ocean and from the things in the ocean, the the kelp forests and and all of that. So um, both made entirely in encaustic with biodegradable and sound materials like wood from a yard and twigs and twine. And the only metal were the, or anything that wasn't biodegradable, like immediately biodegradable, was the, the hangers, the metal hangers on the backs of pieces. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah, I, re- I really, I'm trying really hard to um, just keep using the natural materials as much as I can and and repurposing things and, and and sort of more assemblage type work yep, which yep. i adore love it you look at that we climbed up my digital scaffolding and look how much in common we had that neither one of us would have known yeah i know yeah i wish i'd talked to you more sooner. yeah well the sunflower yeah. show is ongoing it's not like it ends so we had one at gallery vertigo but it was just the beginning because we got a, a seniors grant to teach digital skills, but it's been so popular. We're trying to find more artists mean more artists. And, you know, the idea now to go through Kelowna is great, Lake Country. I mean, I've got some ginormous satellites in my yard that I found. They're like, oh my God, I have to give you one because they're these mesh. They're like eight feet around. Oh yeah, yeah. We used to have one of those. Well, ugly as heck, but honestly, like what they're, to have them somewhere where the art can be continually installed. For me, it's the voices, right? Because if you stand in front of the the round ones that aren't mesh, they resonate. Hmm. Like a healing, crazy, yeah, it's, and I mean, I mean, I wish they weren't there. They were, you know, we can't really yeah. 
reclaim them any other way, but at least they're not sitting in the landfill. So they can be hung on a wall? Or they yeah, they're light. Yeah, they're really, really light. Oh, okay. I can just, in my mind, as soon as you talk about that mesh, and I'm picturing the one that was here at our house that the yeah. owner, previous owner had left behind, and I'm just thinking, oh, you could wire things into it and just totally encrust it in amazing things. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> just my brain's going crazy thinking about it. Well, we're, I, I'm inviting you because we're doing a mural for in honor of Dalvir Nahal, who you know, passed and was a, a huge innovator of inclusion, just a champion. She's our sunflower beacon, right? So, and we're trying to do, we're starting with the mural, but then we're going to just keep adding in honor of her work and her life, right? So we welcome you to come down because we're like, okay, who else could we invite? And we have some like, Melina Moore's part of it. So she's going to do performance art, Angelica Jagger. And we've just been like coming together. We're actually looking for a space where we could all get together on some of the larger pieces because maybe this person can weld and this person can do something else. You know, mm -hmm. just trying to make these important works. I think these statements. Yeah. So we yeah, welcome you. That sounds really cool. It's been fun. And you know, it's funny. My grandmother, I didn't know this. I just found out this in the last, say, year, was uh, marched for an environmental thing in my coal mining town. And I, I didn't know that. And I was like, oh, my God. And then we found out that the sunflower is the symbol of the suffragettes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Isn't that neat? Isn't that <laughs> <It's> neat? <new> blood. <laughs> I, well, I'm going, aren't we really just sunflower warriors? Like, you're a sunflower warrior. Like, you're through your kind, beautiful colors, you're changing the world through gentle That's... sorry you cut out there i didn't hear that i said you're changing the world with your colors with your gentle art because your art has this ethereal gentleness that is as powerful as the any sword could ever be your art is powerful angela really oh, powerful thank you very much for that that's a huge compliment yeah i, I appreciate that yeah makes it all the you know, the years and years of work and self-discovery and experimentation and tears and frustration. It's its really nice to hear that. You know, maybe before we go, we should touch on that because this has been really an amazing conversation. How many people know how many tears and how much anguish sometimes happens in a studio? <laughs> I don't, I think they, well, they, we only share our, our successes, right? So they don't know how many how much um, we go through to get where we're at, even just, you know, as, as teenagers, the frustration, and then it just carries on because we're always, I think artists are always striving to learn more and about what they do, and I don't think being a creative, you can be kind of doing the same thing all the time. We're always looking for other neat things. It's easy to, you know... I think it's easier for us to try new things and we're always curious about new things, but there's definitely a frustration that happens when, you know, you're, you, it's hard not to compare yourself to other people and what they're doing and their successes, especially with so much social media about that. So it kind of, it's sort of a snake eating its tail because we only post our good stuff. We don't necessarily post of the frustrations that we have yet we're comparing ourselves to other people doing the exact same thing yeah 
so, and you know that they're probably going, their world isn't perfect either. So that's why working with a group of people is so nice because you can share stories and, and talk about things that normally maybe you wouldn't put out there. Yeah, I unfortunately never had that luxury <laughs> with all those murals. <laughs> I was always able, and it was sometimes some of my peers would come and they go, well, that doesn't look right. That eye is off. And I'd say, yes, I know, but it's 60 feet across and I'm on this six feet over here. I know. <laughs> I, I, it's not a piece of paper. Honest, I can't see that till I get down. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, think, I think my back, my thick skin got to look like a ham in the back because I was like, I know. I know it doesn't look right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm just, I'm having horror memories, horrible memories of art school and the critiques and the, you grow a pretty damn thick skin then, but it also, you know, teaches you to be reflective of what you're doing. And, oh, yeah. Um, it, I think it makes me a more sensitive high school art <laughs> teacher. I try to be, you know, as constructively, positively helpful as I can be with the students and just encourage them and... They're not in art school, so they don't need to be tortured quite like that. <laughs> no. But, you know, we're hard enough on ourselves without, I mean, constructive criticism is essential to grow. Yes. You yes. need to do that. And you need to go out of your comfort zone. Yes. And you need to throw, shed a few tears of frustration because that's, I really think that's where breakthroughs come from and, and ideas. You know, you, you start going, okay, I need to find a solution. I need a different solution than what I've tried. And, if everything's going perfectly all the time, you never get pushed to do that. You never get pushed to innovate. You never get pushed to grow. Yeah. No, it's true. You got to fracture that, right? And that's yeah. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. why we're right back to where, when we have the wax in our hand and a torch, <laughs> you don't have the opportunity to hesitate. And in your art, Angela, it looks like that. You don't hesitate. So bravo to you. Thank you. And all the work you do with the young people. So let's get together in person and because and please join our Sunflower Movement. Like we welcome you 100% in any way we can. We're looking at grants to help each other, collective stuff. It's just a collective of more means more. That sounds amazing. I'm, I'm on board. All right. Thank you. <laughs> it's so much for climbing up the digital scaffolding. Imagine if we were doing a big giant wax mural somewhere. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, maybe a little tricky on the wall, but drips are good. Drips are good. Yeah, drips are good. <laughs> All right. You know, it's a lot of wax, but uh, it's a big ball of wax. <laughs> it's a big ball of wax. Well, you have an absolute fabulous day, and we'll talk real soon. Okay, thanks so much for having me. I-I-A, art, root, blue. I-I-A, art, root, blue. I-I-A. It's the art and the history connecting all communities. The water flows through indigenous blue. The tides rise and fall, connecting us all. Water is life, hear our call. The water flows through indigenous blue.